Welcome to Mediation Station. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. You can also go to YouTube at both CHHA 1610am and at Greg Fenton to see videos of Mediation Station. Also listen to podcasts of each radio show at both pcrtoronto.org and soundcloud.com. Tune in also to some of the other programs here on CHHA in other languages, including a drink of water in English on Mondays from 8 to 9 p.m., Activity Tuesday in English on Tuesdays, of course, from 8 to 9 p.m., Labor News on Thursdays from 8 to 9 p.m., Mr. B's Bounce in English from 8 to 9 p.m. on Friday, La Bella Italia in Italian, Tuesday to Friday and Sunday, all from 9 to 10 p.m. Also check out the uh, free and confidential service of San Lorenzo Community Mediation Service, Mondays 5 to 7 p.m. here at 22 Wenderley Drive in the Dufferin and Lawrence Avenue West area of Toronto. The service is free and confidential. It's a great way to help you deal with situations involving in uh, relationships with other people, including family, neighbors, workplace, or community. We coach you through a situation to find better ways to deal with matters. So for more information, you can contact me at either greggf at primus.ca or 647-227-4734. Our topic tonight is called Learning About the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth with our visitor, Erwin Elman. He'll be with us very shortly. With us tonight, too, to co-host is Laura Tarcia. Hello, Laura. Hi, Greg. Nice to be here again. Thank you for your visit with us. What's that? Yeah. It's just my good luck pen that I just received. From all the way from Romania. Romania. Yes. Yeah, and what I'm is hap- it? Re- I'm happy to post a photo for whoever is interested. I can't really describe it. It's uh, you press it and the eyes pop out. Is that what I see? That's exactly what you see. Yeah. Does it represent anything special? Not really. We'll think about it. Yeah, we will. Is it right. an owl? No. So <laughs> it's an owl. <laughs> Speaking is that's the elf, radio elf. Hi. Hi there. How are you tonight? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Just uh, here, chilling. I'm chilling. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm chilling. Looking forward to uh, this conversation we're going to have. Sounds interesting. Yes, I believe so. So, sitting across right directly from me is our visitor tonight, Orwin Elman. Welcome to Mediation Station. Thanks for coming here with us. Well, thanks for having me. So, how did you end up being the, what's called the provincial advocate? Well, I. You become the provincial advocate when you're appointed by the legislature of Ontario. So I'm an officer of the legislature. My road to the appointment Mm -hmm. was probably not the usual one. I'm a teacher by training and have a a master's in education and counseling. And I worked with young people who were in children's aid care and leaving care for... I I, I worked and ran a center for them uh, for about... 25 years, and then worked in children's mental health. And it really, uh, and when anybody asks me, I always say it was those young people that put me here. Because the center just provided an opportunity for young people who are largely invisible to most of your listeners, most of the public in the province. And they did really well in the face of tremendous barriers, in the face of tremendous difficulty in their childhood when they left the system 
which was very unforgiving to them, they did well. They became great parents. They became doctors. They became lawyers. They be they befriended them each other, and they spoke out quite a bit at this center. And I tell people that I really back then walked alongside them, and they shone in the bright light of their full potential. And when you walk alongside people who shine, the light falls on you too. And and I give them praise and credit for uh, having me be in this position where I can try and influence the province and make sure those children and others like them are not invisible any longer. Well, I would say, too, that there must be a commitment and passion for you in terms of being in the role as well. Do well, you, want to, you want to at least acknowledge that for yourself? I, I do acknowledge that. I mean, you cannot walk alongside these children and young people and the thousands that I've met since I've been the advocate and not see the strength and courage and grace that they carry in the face of tremendous odds. And so you grow to, even though you know, you don't know them, and I'm not afraid to say this, but you grow to love them. And when you love them, you will do what you need to do, and certainly in terms of my legislation, to make sure that they're heard. They're given a voice, an opportunity for a voice, which gives an opportunity for creating positive change within their lives. That's how I think uh, about our office, that, you know, the government, any government, any decision maker, any service provider has a lot of nice words, a lot of paper, thousands of reams of paper, and strategies, mm-hmm. and frameworks, and legislation, even codes of rights. And then there's what it's really like for children in their real lives, on the ground. And there's a huge gap, sometimes a chasm. And I think our office is around to ensure that the voices of children and youth fill that gap that chasm, and I believe people will come around them when that happens, and that's when the opportunity for change can can take place. Erwin, just so I can get an understanding, what is the purpose of, of the office of the provincial advocate? Well, Greg really hit it on the head. We, we have a piece of legislation that tells us we're to, and this is the legal definition of advocacy, partner with children and youth to bring their issues forward, and really that's our job partner with not all children and youth in the province, but children and youth who are connected to our systems of care, are connected in some way to our children's aid societies, or seeking to be connected, connected in some way to our mental health system, or seeking to be connected, connected to our youth justice system, or or nobody is seeking to be connected to it, but on the fringes of it. Spe- children and youth with special needs are in our mandate, and special needs is is the definition of that is quite broad, from anything from a, a minor learning disability to life-altering, life-ending medical issues. And it, it says our act that we should pay particular attention to First Nation children and youth. So the framers of my act have said I'm supposed to partner with those children who I think they thought were the most vulnerable, the most voiceless, the most marginalized in in our province. So, you know, in terms of your work, how long have you been in this role? I, in my act, I'm allowed to have two terms. So each term is five term, five years, sorry. And I've uh, almost on the end of my second term. So wow. that will be about nine years in mm-hmm. in a few months. And then I'll have one year left and somebody else will have to take over after me. 
And you answer to directly to Queen's Park? <laughs> That's a good question. And you want to talk about democracy, but I, I often tell people that everybody is my boss, which makes it kind of like nobody's my boss, but I'm an officer of the legislature. So I'm independent of government, but I'm not independent of the legislature. So everybody is my boss through the legislature. So all parties um, really are who I report to. Every year I have to create an annual report and bring it to the legislature to talk about what I've done, and that's who gives me my budget. So in terms of your role Mm -hmm. with the office, Mm -hmm. how would you define that as being the provincial advocate? What do you see your purpose in terms of... And what do you do as your function? My, well, I'll talk personally because I've talked about what the office does. My, my job is in some ways like the CEO of, of the organization. It's the office of the provincial advocate. So it's, it's pretty unique, um, because I have certain authorities and powers that I can, uh, undertake with, within my legislation. And I, every time I hire a staff, I have to, sign a piece of paper that gives my staff the same power. So I monitor that. I I help my staff create um, plans each year of what we're going to do and how we're going to serve the children and youth. I frame the vision for the office, and, and I often say I hold the tension between the vision and what it's like for my staff and the youth on the ground. So I have to hold that tension and try and understand and support staff to achieve what our organization is trying to do, yet still keep us moving forward um, towards our goals. Well, you're the leader within the office itself, so you know you're ultimately the one accountable within that space. I am, and then you're accountable to, as you mentioned, Queens Park, all the politicians there. Right. Somebody told me I'm also like, and I can't, I can't forget that that I'm the, the face of the office too. So I'm the. Orville Redenbacher of the office. Somebody used that example for me. That they said Orville doesn't necessarily worry about the popcorn making in the back, mm-hmm. but he worries about being the face of the office. And I, I think it's somewhat similar. I have people and directors who um, do the work of the office, and I'm the one who has to be meeting with the ministers, meeting with the public, and importantly, meeting every day with young people too, because it's their voices that I have to listen to. They have to remain my touchstone. How much autonomy is there for you to work with the work that you identified? Um, extremely. Um, an extreme amount of autonomy. I can decide what I want to do. That's why I'm hired. Even within that, I often thought that when I first became the advocate, I'm a teacher, so I'm not a lawyer. I knew how to work with young people and how to partner with young people. So I'd look at my act and I would go to a lawyer and say, so my act says I'm allowed to do X, Y, or Z. I want to do this. Am I allowed to do it? And the lawyer said to me, Erwin, tell me what you want to do and I'll figure out a way within your act to let you do it. And I go, wow. Creativity. That's what lawyers do. Creativity. (laughs) I did not know. And so even within my act, my interpretation of my act, it can be pretty broad, so somebody else might interpret my act differently and do different things. But nobody has challenged me yet. I've I've pushed the boundaries of my act because we aren't allowed to do inve- or have not been allowed to do investigations in the first five years when I was the advocate. My act specifically said you cannot investigate, where other advocates across the country could. 
And I wanted not investigation powers, but access to information powers. I wanted to be able to ask a question of government. If a child died or something difficult happened in a service, I wanted to to ask and be told about it. And I found that I couldn't. Uh, the people would hide behind the act and say, sorry, Erwin, we don't um, have permission to give it to you. Your act doesn't give you the right to have that information. What kind of child advocate isn't allowed to know about the death of a child in his or her mandate. That was ridiculous. I thought it was. And I had to push um, to improve our acts so we had more access. And now, just a year ago, we were given uh, the right to do investigations into children's aid societies, which is important for your listeners to know because I'd want them to phone if they have a complaint about a children's aid society and, and talk to us. That's how we can begin an investigation is by somebody a complaint based process that's right all right so we have to take our first break come back we'll have more conversation together you're listening to mediation station on chha 1610 am versus latinas Welcome back to the radio program. Tonight with us, uh, we have a visitor, Erwin Elman, and we're talking about learning about the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth. And we're going to delve right into the subject. Um, just to follow up, I know, Erwin, um, you have mentioned uh, that um, you also receive some complaints. Uh, that's part of... A you know, a compartment mm-hmm. of um, of the office that mm-hmm. uh, it's tasked with. Um, what type of complaints uh, do you receive? Could you perhaps provide an example or a story? Sure. Let me say, Laura, before uh, the night's over, hopefully I'll be a friend, not a visitor here. <laughs> but I, I feel like I am already, so... We try to provide the environment where people can feel really... At ease. And you've done that. It's great. So we... I'm a friend of your show now. You're a friend, and we really would... Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're bonding. We're <laughs> bonding. So you so will yeah. add me on Facebook and not block me? I will. Hey, I heard look. about your art, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's another story for another day. You just can't... Uh, yeah. Just don't tag me and post on my <laughs> site. A special rule for you. Um, <laughs> so yeah. you, you've already you've got her identified, yeah, right on. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you you've asked me about um, the calls we get. So we get about four thousand, five thousand calls a year. Our I was mentioning our legislation. So our legislation says we can only advocate when uh, we hear from the voice of a child. So. Even if parents or service providers phone, we often won't need to talk to the child or the youth that's involved. But I'll give you an example because when I first became an advocate, I I wanted to go on the phone and listen to the calls that um, we would be receiving. And we have a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-263-2841. And so we'd get a call. And I, I answered and it was a... 15-year-old girl who lived in a group home in somewhere in, in Ontario, a smaller town in Ontario, you know, and your might, listeners might know that young people might be brought into care of Children's Aid in Toronto, but they would be moved oftentimes from home to home to home and end up in little towns 
nothing like the communities they were brought up in, whether culturally or racially or even in terms of urban-rural. So there, she's stuck in this little town in a group home. And she was phoning me, and she she was phoning and saying, uh, I'm really angry. I'm phoning because they won't give me any salad dressing. And I was going, salad dressing. And uh, it was like 6, 7 o'clock at night, and I thought, oh, I'm here at night talking to a 15-year-old girl about salad dressing. And I said, you know... I thought it was being funny. Salad dressing isn't in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, so I'm not sure what I... And then she told me a bad word. Like, um, <laughs> 15-year-olds in group homes who are pretty angry might She say, said you're not a friend then. Eh? I was a visitor. Yeah. And she... Same letter. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she was right. I shouldn't have made fun. I thought I was bonding, but I shouldn't have. And she was angry, and she was angry about the salad dressing. So here's here's what she's telling me. She's in this group home with four other girls and the staff and there's salad dressing in the fridge and they want salad dressing and the staff there said they couldn't have it. And so I said, put the staff on. Why can't you have salad dressing? And he said, well, the reason is because of budget. They've been using too much salad dressing. Give me the girl. Puts the girl back on the phone and the girl's saying... We came up with this plan, us young people here. We have a thimble. And we said, well, we promise we'll each take a thimble full of salad dressing. And the staff is saying he won't give it to us. And so I go back and staff says, yeah, because that's the policy, right? We were told no salad dressing, so I can't do that. Mm-hmm. All right, where's your your supervisor? I go to the supervisor. He actually was at home. So I had to get his home number, phone him at home because it was after hours and say, there's a problem, a salad dressing. He's going, really? I'm going, really? Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a thimble. Can you fix that? Mm-hmm. So that the fellow supervisor calls his staff, fixes the salad dressing. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous, these calls. And I did say to the supervisor, can you imagine? And I, I think I did say, because too big for my britches then, but I was saying, you know, you're talking to the provincial advocate and officer of the legislature about salad dressing, and now it's 9 o'clock at night. we got better things to do. And when I told that story to a young person, they said, yeah, this is why it's important, Erwin. Because in group homes, what could have happened if she didn't phone you is that the fellow, the staff person says you don't get the salad dressing. And the young girl says, the 15-year-old who said the bad word to me, says to the staff the same bad word. And that staff then says, okay, your privileges are cut because that's how group homes work or your level system, they have level systems. You're, you've now dropped a level. You don't have as much rights and, and privileges in the home any longer. And the girl swears at him again and throws the bowl at him. And then the staff, because this is a policy of the group home, needs to phone the police. And then the police come and charge the girl over salad dressing. And now, not only has she been ripped from her family and brought into care, and carrying all the baggage that children do when they have to be brought into care, now she's got a charge. Wouldn't it be better to operate a group home or a foster home or a system by listening to young people, partnering with young people. That's why I was so pleased to get a call from you, because I think that's, at the heart, that's about what mediation is. Two, two people understanding that there's two human beings here with, with needs, with goals, 
both caring individuals. I'm not saying the staff was not a, a caring person, but they were both caught, this 15-year-old and his staff, in a power struggle that people do. I have little children at home. My wife's listening. We get caught in power struggles all the time. But they generally don't lead anywhere positive. And for kids who are marginalized and invisible, is another layer of hurt and pain and, frankly, silence. And so our job is to take those calls, whether they're about salad dressing or about a broken arm in a, in a restraint or about a lack of service that as a child with special needs just can't get in this province, is to make sure those children's voices are heard and we end up, as I said, putting the child, whether it's about salad dressing or service or restraints, in the middle of the conversation and we come around them and find resolution. And that's our goal. And, uh, you know, all of us here, as being from the mediation world, mm -hmm. we understand exactly when people express certain things. You know, it's not for others to judge the value of that for that person based on our own perspective. There's a reason why someone is voicing that. And it's representative of something else, of much deeper. And, yes, you directly communicated that there's risk and complications and consequences when your needs are not met this way somehow when you voice it in another setting it can become much more uh, complicated and potentially criminal you know his criminality is imposed on the individual in this place the young person what age range do you work with though when you say children and we youth? work with um Children from infants to 18 years old, but some of the systems that are in our mandate serve young people up to 24. So it's anybody seeking or receiving the services I mentioned earlier, the children's mental health, child welfare, youth justice, um, First Nations children, special needs services. So, you know, it run, runs the gamut across the board. And mm -hmm. I would think that you, unfortunately, in some way, you're quite active. We're very busy. I mean, yeah. the need, the need is great. And, and I don't mean, of course I mean the need for service and the need for systems to function better, but the need for these children and young people to be heard and to be listened to is huge. I, I say this to government and, and, you know, I, I think one of the biggest Issues and one of the biggest things we could change that wouldn't cost a lot of money but would be really difficult is to find a way to listen to our children and our young people in these systems. Because I think you know, well you'll tell me if I'm wrong, but in mediation, if you can get the two parties to listen to each other, you're halfway home. Or maybe even more. Because sometimes the pain and the hurt is about not being listened to, is about not being valued, is about not being seen. Freer or called it not being fully human. And children are humans. And young people are human beings. And so when they're hurt and when they're not even listened to, it it's completely more, uh, exacerbates the hurt. And so I think if we can find a way to change the culture of our systems to listen to children, to listen to young people, we would have much better outcomes. We wouldn't be spending as much money on them. But it is going to be a really difficult road to take. And I'm happy that the government and the legislature has passed a new Child Youth Family Service Act 
just a few months ago that says that every decision made about a child in every service offered to children and youth in the province must include their participation. That's the law now. Well, we'll be the law when the act is proclaimed. And young people forced that at the legislature. So I say that's the law now. I'm very curious how that's going to be implemented. Because if it's going to be done seriously, then we need to, to look at how we train people who work with these children. We need to look at our schools. We need to look at our hospitals and our how we provide medical care. Okay. There's lots to talk about. Sorry, I can go on. No. Nothing to be apologetic for. Thanks. Appreciate totally the information. Thanks. It's helping totally. You're listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM, Voces Welcome back to the radio program. Tonight's topic is called Learning About the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth. And we're here today with our visitor, who is now a friend of, uh, <laughs> of our radio program, granted by Greg just a few minutes ago. I mean, we can always listen to the podcast later. And, yeah, uh, we'll and, make and official proclamation uh, without Queen's Park's involvement. Thank you. <laughs> you just mentioned before the break about social change or change of systems. And that's where we want to really explore a bit more. How do you think the office and your role contribute to public policy and in affecting change within the different areas of your mandate? Well, I think we've been successful in... There's two ways of, of I think, about change. There's this idea of fundamental change, and then there's uh idea of instrumental change. And I think we've been able to contribute in in both ways. Um, young people, so our, our work is partnering with young people to bring their issues forward. So can give you examples. Um, young people, uh, I mentioned child, child welfare and children's aid societies. Young people through our office with, with our partnership held hearings at Queen's Park about poor outcomes of kids leaving the child welfare system. They thought 100 people would come and 700 people came to the mm-hmm. hearings and it, really, really changed Queen's Park. The first thing that happened was that when we asked if young people could hold their hearings there at Queen's Park, the legislature said, well, nobody's ever asked that before, so we can't. I said, well, just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean you can't. It means you haven't decided to. And they said, you're right, and so they let us. We had a, a clerk of the legislature who was was open-minded enough to allow that to happen, and 700 people came. They didn't expect that. We didn't. Took over Queen's Park for a few days. And then they wrote a report, and that report led to some instrumental changes, like tuition being available to all former Crown Wards in Ontario, uh, tuition relief for free. They um, created independent workers, uh, transition workers, I think they call them, 60 now, Across the province to help young people when they leave the children's aid system and, and a host of other instrumental changes. But young people wanted fundamental change. They wanted, the, as they said, to feel like they be- belonged in their own life, that they had a sense of control over their life, that idea of voice I was talking about. Not just talking, but 
to be seen, to feel like they had control. And they wanted relationships with significant adults in their lives. Whether it's their family or their social worker or their teacher, they just felt like they were isolated and alone in this huge system moving home to home and there was no adult there for them. And that's something they identified as key to their lives that they were going to be successful um, once they became adults, that they grew up in a system where there was somebody who actually cared for them or they felt that somebody was there. And that is fundamental change, they called. And they through those hearings in My Real Life book, they pushed for fundamental change. And really, that's how we have this new Child and Youth Family Service Act. And I think the minister, when he brought the act forward, gave them credit um, for the years of advocating with us in partnership with us, but it's really their voice for creating this change in Ontario. Now, of course, we have to make sure it's not just nice words on a paper and that's implemented properly. Right, not just tokenism, and it's not just in the moment, that it's right into the core of the function of the system. And when they put the act forward, you know, Finally, last year, well, not, not even last year, five months ago, they, they put the act forward and they brought it to the legislature, made third reading, and it before a third reading, it had to go to committee. A legislative committee sees the act and reviews it. They didn't tell the public that the committee was going to hold hearings because they had to rush it through. So that we knew about it. We told young people through the Facebook that Joni's now on. There, there, there's There's legislative hearings. And young people went to those hearings. They went back to the legislature where they held hearings, and they forced 200 amendments at committee, unprecedented number of amendments in a significant act in Ontario. And I was going to tell you one of them that I I think they said that's all nice words. Yes, young people are going to ha- and children have participated in decisions made about them, and that preamble and principle I mentioned. But we don't see it in the act. Further down, and uh, the example I thought was brilliant that they they used, and they got this amendment was that there's for children say who are in a placement by Children's Aid, they can get moved from home to home. And let's say a child wants to complain, well, the government said we're going to create a committee. They can complain to a committee, and the committee will hear them. And in the act that said that the committee, when it hears the child or the young person will report back to the service provider, the social worker, and the accent, and report to the child if if they can understand. And the young people at committee, the legislative committee, said, no, 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 no. It shouldn't say, report back to the child if they can understand. It should say, report back to the child in a way they can understand. Fantastic. Words. To um, adapt. That put the onus on the service provider and the mm-hmm. government to speak to the child in a way they can understand, not the onus on the child to try and understand the way the adults are speaking. That's child-centered practice. And I thought it was brilliant. And what was the committee going to say when a young person, an 18-year-old is in front of them or a 17-year-old is in front of them, has the courage to stand up in front of them and say, make this change. And they're right. And the legislature knows they're right. And it's that kind of courage and strength that young people demonstrate, whether it's kids in care or First Nations, young people with feathers of hope or young people with disabilities, with we have something to say, our, two of our other initiatives that really can sort of turn things on a dime. Because when 
young people and children speak about their experience, they cannot possibly be wrong because it's theirs. And nobody can challenge it. And it's a... I said to the young people when that act changed, and I say to your listeners, they are an example to your listeners because these young people and children are no different than any adult listener that's listening right now. They're human beings. And when your listeners speak their truth, they are never wrong either. And they should speak their truth. And government needs to hear their, their truth. And so does does all decision makers. Do it in a in a respectful way. But if they stick to their lived experience, they cannot be wrong. And that's where power comes from. All that you speak of is, you know, we're all about community-based approaches rather than the system being the default for people's, you know, uh, decision-making of their lives, that it's the community that identifies and determines what it needs. And each community is different from the next community. It's not to say there's only one community-based approach. Right. There's multiples because there's variations of the theme out in the community with regard to that. I think that's so important and it's very profound. It's, it's very important in First Nations uh, policy making and First Nations issues where First Nations actually have physical communities, particularly in the North, and culture, a way of being developed well before people like me were ever on the soil in this country. And if we can harness the power of that community and support First Nations communities to look after in my end of the world, their own children, they want to create services and supports and partner with us to look after their own children and solve their own problems. If we can harness that, and develop that sense of community that already exists, we can learn in Toronto or North Bay or Ottawa where we have limited, limited community to build on. I want you to, I want you to know we got a caller. Okay. So that, this person wants to, uh, share. Hi caller. Yes, hi. Erwin, um, I've been on the program before and I've always wanted people to call in so I thought I would call in. Hi. But uh, I, I wanted to make a comment with respect to changing the system. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, we can change the system. And I think Ontario has very good laws when it comes to children. I mean, it could be better, but I think, uh, I think we're forerunners in that. But I think what really needs to be changed is the people who make the laws. And it has to start in the, in the law schools. And unfortunately, and I guess the paralegal schools now mm-hmm. at a certain level, but I find that um, there is very little to no um, teaching on human humanness, human beings, psychology, sociology. And a lot of people s- suppose that it, they teach that in undergraduate studies, but not really. And when you get into law school, all you're doing is getting knowledge of how to think like a lawyer so your mind is shaped to think sort of quote-unquote rationally. When you come out and you start making the laws, you don't think in terms of human ter- uh, uh, conditions or and, and uh, the way in which uh, children uh, can be related to. I think it's very significant and a serious problem and a defect uh, uh, and a deficiency in the way in which lawyers are, who make the laws are being trained. What's your name? Your first name? 
Marty. Marty, you know, I think, I think you're right. Well, there's nothing more frustrating than, and if you have lawyers listening, please forgive me, but there's nothing more frustrating for me than a room full of lawyers. So, and trying to talk to them, but I know, and they told me, there's nothing more, they can't imagine if there was a room full of Irwins, right? That would be more traumatic for them than anything. I'd be right so, there beside you. So I get it. <laughs> so here's what, I think you're right about the training that lawyers or any profession gets in terms of human professions. But I've learned that the key is going to be, I need lawyers. I need their way of thinking. Because I've got my, if you hear me already, Marty, like I'm a, a big picture in the clouds kind of thinking and lawyers and people who think like that have been uh, the string to my kite. And so I need that string or I'm going to go flying off. But what they need to learn is that you have to integrate and lawyers find it hard to do that. Integrate all ways of thinking and all frameworks. So I need the lawyer's framework. I have my framework. I need a social works framework. I need a mediation framework. I need... Uh, accountant's framework. I need a policy analyst framework. And if we can center that on the needs of the person and particularly in human services that we're trying to support and their voice, we can bring and in- integrate all those frameworks together to find a solution. And that's what I think lawyers are not particularly good at. They're stuck in the framework and it's pretty rigid and it's very difficult to get out of. So if your suggestion for training allows them to learn how perhaps to integrate other ways of being, I think that would serve the the profession well. Well, I don't know who's going to lobby them. That's the problem. I mean, it's the same with the medical profession. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're beginning to realize that it's not just um, cutting someone open and, and fixing things in there that are going to make the difference. It's also going to be what's happening in your head and your mind your, your, you know, in your emotions and all that sort of stuff, and uh, I mean, very few medical schools are picking up on that. So I, anyhow, I, I thought I'd just raise that, and it's just uh, from a lawyer's perspective. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's just important, and I don't know where you begin or who you begin to lobby. Uh, it certainly won't be the law societies because they're controlling the. They do give direction to the law schools as to what to be taught, but. Um, uh, it's lawyers giving direction to lawyers. It's a kind of a vicious circle, you know, mm-hmm. really, unfortunately. So, Marty, thanks very much for calling. Appreciate your contribution. we got to take a break. Great. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Okay. Erwin, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk more. You're listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM. Voces Welcome back to the radio program. Tonight's topic is called Learning about the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth. And we're here with our friend, um, (laughs) Erwin Elman. And we're going to delve right back in because we only have a few minutes left. We wish we would have the entire evening if uh, if possible, but hopefully he will will come and uh, come again into our program. Erwin, what are what is the current focus of the office in terms of uh, concerns with children and youth? Well, we we're involved in many things, but when you ask me that, I cannot help but think of um, Saturday, which was Orange Shirt Day. It was a day to acknowledge residential school survivors, and one of the thorniest 
most difficult struggles, things that I think about day and night that weigh on me, is the conditions that First Nations children live in, in particularly in the north in Ontario. Um, the number of First Nations children that try and then complete suicide in the north, I think, and your listeners will be shocked, it's a hard way to end the show, but I think since January, 29 suicides in Ontario's north, 24 of them children, some as young as 12, and we've lost them. And and you asked me about this before, but I, I know those children. I didn't, didn't know those specific children, but I've met so many First Nations children in Ontario's north, so I can see them. And uh, I know my staff, and I worry about my staff too, can see them. And I know those communities where these children live, and I've met... First Nations leadership like uh, Grand Chief Alvin Fiddler of Anishinaabeaski Nation. And it is unbelievable that this could go on in a province like Ontario, in a country like Canada, and it is not a crisis, and a response isn't as if it's a crisis. And we have helped young people, First Nations young people, through a program, Feathers of Hope, you can look it at on our website, raise their voice, but these struggles of First Nations children which are part of the legacy of residential schools. It's where it comes from. We haven't been able to turn the tide and that that is very difficult to stomach and deal with and our office is determined to redouble its commitment to reconciliation, redouble its efforts to raise the voice of First Nations children, redouble its efforts to partner with First Nations leadership and frankly, I don't want to hear any racist backlash from anyone. We're beyond that in Canada. We understand the legacy of, rec- of the residential schools. We know what the nation did. And it's time to find a way to repair that damage. Or we're going to continue to lose children, child after child after child. And they are as, every bit as much uh, they have any, every bit as many rights as any other child in Ontario and they're every bit as, as, um, powerful and productive. And when we lose those children, we lose a great deal in this province. I'd like to say something. I, I'd like to just say that we haven't turned the tide yet. Mm-mm. But it's coming. It's coming along. Just to even be acknowledging now, for our Prime Minister to be acknowledging in the UN, um, the, the deep wounds for the Indigenous peoples. It's, it's coming, it's not coming fast enough for us, but it's happening. So yeah. uh, I hear what you're saying, Joni. I would just say that talk is cheap, and we've talked a lot. Yes, it's raised to a, 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 you know, a more public forum. Actions speak louder than words for me. And I'm just hopeful, you know, individuals such as Erwin with his passion and his compassion that you are the kind of person who will seek to inject and put the pressure on in some way for the system to evolve. I think it's going to take, even here it's going to take more than talking, us talking. And when I say us, I, I mean people who are on our side of the microphone and it's going to take a lot more listening and, and various forms of, 
of listening. So it's not for the Prime Minister or the Minister of Indigenous Affairs to talk right now. It's really for the Prime Minister to listen and then act in partnership. Enough. I mean, enough. We spent, I just read in the paper, your listeners might know, $100,000 of lawyers, federal lawyers, fighting for to a prevent... For $6,000 Exactly, dental. I read the same article. Mm-hmm. Yes. Enough. Enough. And I think Canadians, certainly Ontarians I meet, have had enough of that. We want our governments to make this right. And I think the first step of making this right is to listen and then act. Okay, so we, we do have to... Sorry. That's a big topic. Yeah, Thank you for asking. Absolutely. These are critical points to bring to light. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the purpose of the program. Talk about some of the topics that people put in the cupboard or never bring to light and to provoke and agitate for some change. So if people want to learn more yep. about your office and your role, how can they do so? Our website is www.provincialadvocate.on.ca. We're at one 800 Two six three two eight four one. Follow me and uh, Joni on Facebook, <laughs> Irwin Elman, and uh, my Twitter is at Ontario Advocate. And there's lots of ways to to find out about us, and certainly phone, and uh, we'll answer your call. Thank you on behalf of all of us here for your time with us. Yes, you are a true friend. Thank you. And we would look forward to having you return for another visit with us. When you call, I'll be there. Thank you very much. Thanks. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM, Voces Latinas.